you could just like dive into it. The first thing we can talk about is probably the Celtics trade because that's one of the first things that kicked off the off season, mm-hmm. especially right after like the finals. It was like they did not wait at all. They just went ahead and did it. So the trade as follows is the Celtics acquire forward Kristaps Porzingis and the draft rights to Marcus Sasser, the number 25th pick, and a protected 24 first-round pick in a three-team trade with the Wizards and the Grizzlies. The Wizards received Tyus Jones, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, and the draft rights to Julian Phillips. And then the Grizzlies obviously received Marcus Smart. So the first thing to like kind of breakdown in this trade i feel like a lot of people overlook tyus jones he's pretty much the best backup point guard in the league i think he's extremely underrated every time john Morant was getting into trouble this past season he stepped in and carried the team so he put a lot on his back but he's not usually recognized for it so i just want to give him a shout out real quick the wizards didn't really win the trade i don't think they've done well this entire offseason now they have Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma spearheading their franchise, which isn't really the people that I want to hand my keys over to the franchise if it was me running it. But that's all up to them. Um, I know Beal's no trade clause, which we're going to get into a little bit later, had a huge part to do with that trade, especially to the Suns. However, they did get Tyus Jones outside of the Chris Stapps Prisingis trade from Boston. But I think Boston was definitely the winner in this trade. They 100% gave up um, Marcus Smart, their heart and soul, their point guard, their longest tenured Celtic, everything and everything was Marcus Smart when it came to the Boston Celtics, even in the city. I'm sure which you can go ahead and speak on that end as well. However, from a pure basketball perspective, they definitely improved. Just like the Suns did with the Bradley Beal trade, they kind of replaced Beal with Chris Paul. And Porzingis is much younger and addresses a lot of Boston's mishaps that they had last year and a lot of their flaws, especially on defense. You, we, we can both discuss about how Al, Al Horford's getting a lot older in age. So his last season was essentially an anomaly it's not something a 37 year old center should be doing so just like you're gonna say yourself um i expect him to regress a lot this following season he's gonna be a lot less effort on defense and pretty much just relegated to a spot-up shooter on offense i think he can still hold his own with a lot of centers in the league but put him against like a Jokic or joel Embiid, which is what the Celtics were, where they want to be later on in June of next year. Um, I think Kristaps Porzingis addresses a lot of those issues. I agree. I, you know, them picking up quite possibly a top five pick and roll defender in the NBA is huge. I think it was something they struggled with, uh, especially in the Miami series. And on paper, the Celtics did get good value you know, in that trade, as you said, I think they were the winners of the three teams. Uh, they got, as you mentioned, Porzingis and two first rounders uh, for Marcus Smart. Um, however, from a pure, like, you know, f- fandom, like emotional standpoint, it was really hard seeing Smart go. And especially because the news broke at like 1230 in the morning. 
Eastern yeah. Standard Time or like midnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, I I had to double check that it was like a real tweet, not like a fake Shams account that said that. But it, yeah, I mean, Smart was the heart and soul of the team. You know, worked a lot with like kids with cancer in the Boston area. You know, had a, like a basketball camp that he ran. Um, so it's really hard to see him go. I'm, you know, that made me really sad. And yeah, although Smart could be inconsistent at times, make some questionable plays here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the end of the day, he was always the first guy on the floor, the guy who would make that insane hustle play. And, you know, as he learned to distribute the ball more over the last two years, like he became really important for the offense too, not to mention, of course, especially the 2021-22 season, you know, his defense was excellent. Won him defensive player of the year, the first guard to win it since Gary Payton, uh, 26 years before that. Um. So it, 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 there were a lot of emotions involved, but at the end of the day, I, I am excited to see what Porzingis can do with Tatum and Brown. Hopefully, again, the Celtics can improve upon that pick-and-roll defense, uh, and hopefully along with a more beefed-up coaching staff, they can you know, ascend again in, in the East, although they'll have plenty of competition from you know, Miami, Milwaukee, you know, maybe as we'll talk about later in this episode, Philly with a new head coach. Um, yeah, Nurse. Took my Raptors coach, Nick Nurse. But honestly, speaking about coaches, um, I don't really doubt how Brad Stevens functions because he's very he's very precise and meticulous when it comes to his craft. But at the end of the day, I just don't really agree with keeping Missoula as the head coach. I think he's not really a people-facing person. He's more private. And that's kind of a really good role for an assistant coach because that's where you can contribute the best in your coach-only meetings and things along that nature. Whereas a head coach has to be very talkative, communicative, very people-facing at the end of the day. And his answers to a lot of media questions, especially having his relationship with the players, which is the main aspect. He came out and said that during the conference finals, there was a disconnect between him and the players. So I don't really find that decision to bring him back that great. I find it questionable at best, but I'm Mm -hmm. just kind of playing devil's advocate and criticizing what could have been the case because there was a lot of good coaches on the market this offseason. So we could have just pretty much put him back in his original role having him step in for that year because of unforeseen circumstances. But putting him back and electing to bring him back on purpose, I found questionable. Whereas other teams like uh, the 76ers, like you just mentioned, brought in the Raptors head coach, uh, Nick Nurse. We all know how Monty Williams signed with Detroit for about $12 million a season, which is unheard of. $72 million. Yeah, that's like unheard of for a coach before. So he got Phoenix to the finals, but is he worth that much at the end of the day? I don't know, right? So got a lot of front stuff changing across this offseason as well. For example, one of the best GMs in the entire sport, Bob Myers, who's pretty much single-handedly responsible for the Warriors dynasty or its assembly at least, chose to step down which shows you the other facets of this job. It's not all glamour. It's not all glitz. There's a lot of stress and white hairs forming on people's heads 
taking a job of that much stress on at the end of the day because you're essentially responsible and being tasked with fulfilling a franchise's destiny which has a lot of moving parts and people to manage and he was great at his job but he just got to a point similar to Magic Johnson in about 2018 where he chose to step down as well it tells you that Brad Stevens for example is doing an amazing job and he's placed in the right role whereas a lot of other GMs may be even if they're good at their jobs at the end of the day they're simply not willing to take on the stress that comes with the reward of having such a position. I agree. If going back to the Celtics for a sec, talking about both Brad Stevens and Joe Missoula, um, you know, first of all, I think Brad Stevens has been terrific in the front office. Uh, even when he was a head coach, his greatest strength, in my opinion, was knowing which guys you know gave him the best chance to maybe make a title run. I mean, you have to think about some of those teams like the 2017-18 team that took LeBron's Cavs to, to seven games with no, no Gordon Hayward, no Kyrie Irving, you know, he put them in a really good position, you know, in terms of the roster uh, to make a run. And in terms of keeping Joe Missoula, I, I think the logic behind it, and I, I definitely went back and forth about this, you know, at the time when it happened, um, it's one of those situations where the grass is always greener on the other side. Cause you know, I, I would have liked to have maybe seen them bring in Nick nurse. I think he would have been a good fit. You know, I think he would in, instill that mental toughness in the guys much like Ime Udoka did in the 21, 22 season. Um, but of course, bringing in your fourth head coach in as many years is it, it's a, it's a big gamble too. You know, even if, Missoula's relationship with the team and sort of his personality is a bit questionable for the role. I think Brad Stevens ultimately decided that the risk of bringing in a new person wasn't worth, you know, the effort and, you know, they're going to see what happens this season. You know, if they fall short this year, maybe Brad will choose someone else. And I, I definitely want Missoula on the team still. You know, I, 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 tend to agree he he's better as an assistant but also again now that nick nurse is off the market you know who who else would be able to step into that role um it, it it's easier said than done to, to change head coaches in the nba we can move on to the next blockbuster trade that went on this offseason so we touched on it previously with uh, the whole boston situation uh because the wizards were also involved so Bradley Beal and Jordan Goodwin and forward Isaiah Todd are involved in a three-team trade with the Wizards, the Pacers, and, of course, the Phoenix Suns. So the Wizards receive Chris Paul, which is no longer with them. He's currently a Golden State Warrior. And um, they also have Landry Shamit, the Wizards, the draft rights to Bilal Koulibaly, and five second-round picks and four first-round pick swaps. So we're anticipating those pick swaps won't be the best because Phoenix is going to be contending. So at the end of the day, they're pretty much just late first-round picks. And then the Pacers received the draft rights to Jarase Walker, the number eight pick, and two second-round picks as part of this three-team blockbuster trade. So initial thoughts, the Suns did really well for themselves. Touching on more acquisitions they've made, they signed Utah Watanabe from the Brooklyn Nets. He's played with KD before. 
They also signed Seth Curry, who's familiar with both KD and uh, other Phoenix Suns players as well. And they signed uh, the best offseason acquisition, in my opinion, for the Suns, especially at face value. Um, the longtime Rockets guard next to James Harden. I forget his name. <laughs> What's his name? Eric uh, Gordon? Eric Gordon, exactly. So that is um, the Phoenix Suns signed the best um, free agent minimum contract in Gordon Hayward because he is a knockdown spot up shooter. He can definitely hold his own on the defensive end and he fills in their gaps. They needed more shooting to surround these three ball dominant guards and stars. And then they also addressed their size constraints, giving up their backup center last year uh, with Utah Watanabe. So Obviously, they're doing a lot better than most people and experts expected because they have all of their um, shortcomings pretty much looked after at this point in time. However, I believe since they only have 11 people on their roster as of this recording, they're going to keep making these diamond in the rough uh, finds across the rest of the summer and keep obtaining these high quality role players at the end of the day. And I believe they just acquired Bowl Bowl as well, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, there you go. So they're addressing their size constraints. They're addressing every other shortfall that they have on the team with surrounding these three ball-dominant guards with very good knockdown shooters who can also hold their own on the defensive end. And it's not like they're acquiring them midseason, so they have no time to develop chemistry. They have the entire offseason training camp and the regular season with their eyes on the prize being the finals. So what do you think? Uh, I think for sure the the Suns won the trade at, at the very least on paper. Um, you know, acquiring Bradley Beal is huge for them. Now they have a bunch of ball dominant guards who can, you know, score in high volume. Uh for the Wizards, you know. They're they're pretty much a rebuilding team. You know, they're looking at 30 to 35 wins this upcoming season, most realistically. Um, I think they're just trying to acquire young talent that they maybe can build up, you know, two, three, four years from now and maybe make it like a true playoff team. Uh, I tend to also agree with you that the Suns are addressing most of their deficiencies. Uh I still do worry a little bit about depth for them. Um, you know, they, they definitely have been addressing that more over the last like week or two. Um, I think the risk for uh, the Suns having so many ball dominant guards, honestly, it's kind of like when uh, the Mavericks acquired Kyrie Irving in the middle of last season, which is you have a bunch of ball dominant guards, you know, what's your defensive end going to look like? Cause of course you also, in the middle of last season, gave up Neil Bridges, who was probably your best defender, especially with Aiton not playing super well the last season or so. Um, you know, I also think, by the way, that Aiton will really need to step up this year. Oh, yeah. Or else, or else the Suns will definitely try even harder to get rid of him than they already have. Um, of course, my other concern is for Bradley Beal is just, you know, how healthy will he be? What player will be be ultimately translate to because i think like the last couple of seasons he's been pretty hurt you know his defense hasn't been all there and i think he's been averaging closer like 23 points per game if i'm not mistaken which isn't bad but just you know for a huge 
blockbuster trade, you know, you're going to want more out of Bradley Beal and you really need high volume scoring from everyone. You need KD to come through in the playoffs if you want this to materialize into a championship team. But on paper, the the Suns definitely are the winners of that blockbuster trade without question. Yeah, for sure. I think the winners so far, like we've mentioned, are Boston and the Suns, obviously. But to kind of talk about what you just said, I think DeAndre Ayton's definitely going to have to step it up, actually, because um, he's renowned for that one interview he did when he got drafted. They asked him what success is going to look like. And then for him, that was getting a max second contract and extension. So, like, the fact that he's done that already, that pretty much tells you that he has no more drive or motivation to excel. Like, I play 2K. And when I log on at night, he's on. Like, he's literally playing 2K at night. Now, granted, we're literally almost the same age. But looking back at that, like, you don't see other early 20-year-old NBA stars playing 2K at night. You see them either working on their game, getting their treatment done, getting drills in, trying to learn more about the game mentally. Like, you see them way more involved to try to get the most out of it to end up in that winning spot, whereas... There's a lot of other players nowadays and a lot of people and players currently have come out and spoken about this. For example, I know Anthony Edwards has spoken about this. I know DeMar DeRozan has. I know Paul George has as well. A lot of today's NBA's players simply don't treat the game the same way that a lot of the older stars did back in the 2000s or even the 90s and 80s because the superstars back then actually had a fundamental love for the game of basketball. Whereas a lot of stars nowadays are just gifted at it and they're talented at it. So they kind of see themselves working towards a financial stability future. Whereas a lot of other players just simply do that because they're in love and infatuated with the game and they want to get better at it because they want to impress themselves. They want to be on that winning stage and provide for the rest of their family, which comes along with that path. However, it's a lot harder for you to do that when you don't fundamentally love the basketball that you're playing, which I think DeAndre Ayton falls into that boat. And then the second thing you mentioned as well, I think Bradley Beal is going to step up a lot more because he's a very good player. Like he's extremely underrated, especially recently, because he simply has no motivation or nothing to play for. He logs on, he walks onto the court, and then that's pretty much it. He just puts in his hours and to get his paycheck at the end of the day. But now with that new drive and motivation, he's also never been traded before. So like a new city, a new team, a new identity, it's going to flip that like hunger back on because he has a very legitimate chance at winning an NBA championship. And he probably knows this is the best and probably the last opportunity he's going to get in his career because all of these stars, with the exception of Devin Booker, are crossing 30 and the wrong side of it. Bradley Beal's about to turn 30, which is still in his prime, obviously, but Kevin Durant's almost 33, 34, 35. So he's getting a lot older. Obviously, his game's going to translate a lot better when he does get older because he's reliant so much on his jumper. However, you have to look at the entirety of things and Bradley Beal specifically in a vacuum will probably not get a good of a chance as this one again in his career because of what the critics think and because of what people usually say about him, which is he is a dominant guard. However, at the end of the day, 
He simply lacked that drive and motivation because he wasn't put in the right situation to succeed. So now it's his opportunity to prove everyone wrong to go out and get it because I think this is the best chance he's ever been given and the best one he will be given because he's probably not going to be surrounded with talent like uh, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant again in his career. Exactly. And yeah, they're, they're a loaded team on paper. Booker, before the Suns got eliminated, had an incredible shooting streak, was shooting like 70 to 75% from the field and from three for, for a stretch of games. So yeah, you combine that with Beal, who I, I, I do agree with that. And I really like Beal as a guy and as a player. I, I do think he'll improve his game now that he has sort of motivation, something to play for and something to prove. Um, One other interesting thing, you know, as the Suns look at possibly making another title run is, uh, you know, they have a new head coach as well. They hired Frank Vogel, who led the Lakers to a championship in the bubble about three years ago, uh, got him on a five-year, $30 million deal, which is pretty good for, for like a pretty good deal for a coach with a championship pedigree, in my opinion. So I, I think that'll also help the Suns and hopefully, you know, hopefully it can reinvigorate, you know, KD, Booker, sort of guys who were on the team last year who may be feeling a bit gassed after, you know, two sure. conference semifinals exits in a row. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. So like we said, we'll place the, the Suns and the Celtics in the winners category for now and the Wizards in the loss category because they simply just got worse and paid people, took on bad contracts. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to talk about it even more because it's just kind of laughable, like what they're doing with this franchise. They're kind of putting themselves in this like forever mid-tier. They're not bad enough to get a lottery pick, but they're not good enough to contend. So... I don't know where they're going with it. So good luck to all you Wizards fans out there. May God be with you. Um, All all the five Wizards fans exist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also want to touch on two more winners of this NBA offseason, the Lakers and the Mavericks. So we can start with uh, the Mavericks. A lot of people Mm -hmm. thought that they're going to be losers because they re-signed Kyrie Irving for a three-year close to max deal. Um, I, I'm pretty sure they signed him for a three-year $126 million extension. So a lot yes. of uh, GMs around the league were very wary to give Kyrie anything over one year's deal's worth because of his shady past. However, I think this is his probably one of his later chances. Like he, he might not get another contract if he doesn't, portray to the entire NBA world that he's actually legitimately serious about perfecting his craft, wanting to contend again for a title. And the best, most important part is availability. Availability is the best ability, specifically when it comes to Kyrie Irving, because if if it's not an injury, which we can't say anything about, that's the name of the game, stuff happens. It's always something else politically, socially, mentally sometimes that's going on for Kyrie that is making him stay off the court more than on it and everyone agrees when he's on he is miraculous he's box office just like Kawhi Leonard for example but he's simply not on the court enough for us to appreciate him that much so he counted on his 
championship prowess, his expertise, and his talent to get this final contract because the Mavericks traded away so much to be able to get him before the trade deadline of last season. And they're banking on the fact that they're going to make this work because they paid him for three years, which aligns in Luca's contract extension as well. So if anything happens, Luca might be requesting a trade three years from now, and they might be looking at trading both guards to get a lot back in draft capital and just start another rebuild to find like their other Dirk maybe. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. I don't foresee Luca requesting a trade. I don't think he's like that. But then again, we didn't think Damian Lillard was like that. And here are we now talking about him finally requesting a trade. So not to get ahead of myself, like I said, the Mavericks are winners of this offseason because of them acquiring Kyrie long term, given what they had given up to acquire him in the first place, along with signing guards like uh, Seth Curry as well. He's back in the Mavericks. He's played with both Luka and Kyrie before. So he's very familiar with how they play, their play style in general. And then the blockbuster acquiry of your Boston Celtic, my favorite Boston Celtic. He addresses everything they need. Grant Williams, he is literally what they need in a human being packaged onto their uh, court at this point in time because he addresses the shooting that Luca tends to play with because they're one of the few teams who actually run a five out offense in today's NBA. They're not really reliant on that pick and roll. Their uh, center Powell, number seven, he's not that dominant of a player, even though he's still on the team. So that tells you how much they're reliant on that five out offense, especially when C Wood is on the floor as well, because he can shoot threes. So addressing that defensive stopper that you once traded away uh, to acquire people like Kyrie Irving, will be essential to them actually continuing and having good defense. Because at the end of the day, they had those defensive ratings last season. They were almost close to last in rebounds per game, I'm pretty sure, if not dead last. And uh, players like uh, Christian Wood, players like Gordon, uh, uh, sorry, Grant Williams, address those concerns while remaining true to the identity of how they play, which is, basically giving Luca the ball and then everyone get out of his way, let him do his thing. Grant Williams was also a knockdown shooter. He shoots 40% from three, as well as holding his own against big centers like Joel Embiid. So given his size at 6'6", I'm pretty sure that they were going to use him probably at the five for some plays that they choose to run if they're choosing to go super small, just like Boston did, which you could probably speak more to. Yeah, I think... uh... First of all, I, I think for the Mavericks, they're addressing two big areas of need. Their first being their defense, which really fell off a cliff once they brought in Kyrie. I'm not saying he's the reason their defense fell off a cliff, but just, yeah, they, they traded away guys who were crucial for that in order to make space to sign Kyrie. Um, and then just their bench, you know, adding depth. They They just really didn't have much depth last year, and it really showed at the end of last season, so... Addressing those two things is huge. I, I think the other thing for Grant is, yeah, I'm happy to see him get paid. Uh, I think at the price they got, the, you know, the Celtics would have gone over the second apron to keep him. So, you know, that sure. wasn't going to happen. And especially because Grant, you know, he was great, but he did have a lot of did not plays last year. So it was clear that like he wasn't quite fitting in as well with the Celtics. 
as we would have hoped, at least this past season. Obviously, you know, the season before he was a hero in game seven of the conference semifinals. And you know, that that will forever be Grant Williams' legacy as a Celtic for sure. Um, but having a guy who will like get in the faces of some of the best centers in the league. I'll like make them both. <laughs> Grant, I'll, I'll make, make them both. Them both. He, that's the one thing I hope Grant does a little bit less. He needs to <laughs> needs to keep the mouth shut a little bit, mostly yeah. towards the refs. Although he also jinxed himself a few times too. Um, but yeah, having a guy who can you know make threes when maybe Luca or Kyrie's not having a good night, or you know maybe one of them's injured, not playing. You know, you need someone who can step up. You know, Grant will again play hard-nosed defense will kind of give it his all on the court and he's it's just a likable guy i mean heck the mavericks have their own batman now yeah exactly especially after trading dfs dennis finney smith was probably their best defender in the 2010s as a whole so like giving up someone of that caliber to acquire offensive talent showed how they regressed from all the way from fourth to like 11th or 10th in the standings at the end of the season they didn't even make the play in, right? So, but they held on to their pick and they did work. And now they're a good team to contend. And yeah, I'll, do you want me to send you another invite so we can talk about the Lakers? Yes, absolutely. And so moving on to these, uh, the third winner of this offseason so far, it's been the Lakers. Now, as a Lakers fan, I'm kind of reluctant to say they're a full winner. If I had to grade them, I'd probably give them like a B or a B. Plus. They didn't do that great, given all of the free agents like Kyrie Irving that could have been on the team realistically. Uh, we got a lot of legit reports saying that it could have been a possibility, especially with a sign-in trade if the Lakers gave the Mavericks the assets that they wanted. But the Lakers, probably for the better, elected to go against that. Honestly, it was a high-risk Kyrie decision. They would have probably given up a lot of their depth. But they acquired a lot more players while re-signing their core players that they found at the end of the tail of the last offseason. So the major players that the Lakers acquired were obviously Gabe Vincent. That was their biggest deal. They used the MLE on him. So the mid-level exception is about $11 million a season, which is a fair value. It's probably a discount for what Gabe Vincent deserves, especially looking at how Max Struess got paid like $60 million from Cleveland, which is absolutely insane. All the yes. power to the undrafted players. Uh, super inspiring. Anyone can do anything if they put their mind to it. They also took a flyer on Cam Reddish, who has kind of been floating around multiple teams, but brings length and a lot of athleticism to the court, which is imperial to a very aging squad in the terms of LeBron James being a mere 39 years of age next season, entering his 21st season, which is absolutely insane, full of longevity. However, moving forward with this trade, we also got Torian Prince, which they signed for $4.5 million, addresses a lot of more concerns. So you pretty much had the uh, wing depth of last season containing Troy Brown Jr. And then the other shooter that they brought in with the trade, the guy who slept with like uh, Scotty Pippen's mom or something. Forget his name. He's like the one shooter that they brought in. That um, was... Man, I'm, yeah. I'm for... Hold on. Yeah, me too. It was... Uh, 
he like never was on the court so i don't really remember what his name was but i'm for, i'm forgetting who it was now too but yeah. yeah no so that was their they pretty much only played troy brown jr and him when it came to the lakers wings and they essentially replaced that with Cam Reddish and Torian Prince. Torian Prince is a knockdown, shoots above well league average from three, and is also a 6'7 combo wing who has uh, quite a good of a defensive bag as well. So they definitely upgraded towards their wing rotation, which they had last year. Um, that's why I would consider them uh, winners in my books when it comes to looking at retaining the roster, they traded for at the tail end of the last offseason. So you have Lakers. Uh, yeah, what's his name? It was Malik Beasley, but Beasley, Beasley. went on to the Milwaukee Bucks, so he's actually yeah. no longer on the team. Yeah, he's no longer on the team. They essentially replaced Malik Beasley and Troy Brown with Torian Prince and Cam Reddish. It's a lot more length. It's still good shooting and a lot more athleticism. So they definitely won in that aspect. However, the biggest part of them winning this offseason definitely had to do with retaining the roster that took them to the conference finals in the first place. The roster that took down the defending champions in the Golden State Warriors in the second round. So they re-signed Rui Hachimura, three years, 51 million. I think he deserves a little bit more, but obviously everyone wants to play for the Lakers. So a lot of people took pay cuts. They also re-signed Austin Reeves, speaking of pay cuts, to a four-year, $56 million extension. That is a lot less than what he's worth. I think he's a four-year, $100 million player at least. He's definitely deserving to be in the mid to high 20s, if not $30 million a year, because he can hold his own on defense. He's a playmaker. He can shoot the three knockdown. And on top of that, he can facilitate the ball and create plays and make our other plays around him better as well. And he is the definition of reliability, consistency, and being available and contribute. So he's definitely worth more. He always expressed his interest in wanting to play for the Lakers. So that's probably why he got away with that sort of a deal in terms of pricing. And that's also probably the biggest reason the Lakers are considered winners this offseason. Moves that they did that I don't specifically resonate with is re-signing D'Lo to a two-year, almost $40 million contract. Talk about paying $20 million a season for someone that is the definition of hot and cold. His highs are very high, but his lows are also extremely low. So that is essentially a worse version of Russell Westbrook. I know I might get heat for saying that, but honestly, I would rather have Russell Westbrook on a two-year, $6 million deal like he is now on the Clippers than D'Lo for two years, $40 million. What do you think? I mean, for, first of all, I do agree that uh, having Westbrook at the, the price he's at. The price point's crucial, yeah. <laughs> Which I, I, because the thing, the other thing for Westbrook too is he, he wants to play on a team that at least has a chance to win, you know, can talk about the Clippers' history of, in the playoffs, but at the end of the day, they certainly have the roster to make it happen. And, you know, at the point in what his career that Westbrook's at, like, yeah, that, that's why he's getting paid as much as he is. As for Reeves, I was almost wondering. Yeah, I I thought another team might might snag him up and try to give him you know a very beefy deal, but 
at the end of the day, I think Reeves really likes playing on the Lakers. I think he fits their, you know, mentality, sort of playing tough on all sides of the ball, you know, hustle guy. Yeah, really, really came in big during the playoffs this year, you know, had uh had that one game where he scored like 12 or 13 points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so he was the definition of reliable. And as you said earlier in in the episode, all 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 the power to the uh, undrafted players. For sure. Um, Absolutely. Maybe I think uh, a lot of the reasoning of why other teams didn't offer him a bigger contract was because they knew the Lakers would match and he was a restricted free agent. So that's why they didn't like want to potentially put themselves at risk of offering him that deal because they knew the Lakers would just match it straight away. So no one even bothered. Which I guess was to the Lakers' advantage, of course, because Reeves ended up signing only for four years, 56 mil. As you said, you know, I definitely could have seen him at least signing for 80 mil over those four years, so at least 20 million a year. As you mentioned, um, especially for someone, again, who performs in the playoffs, you know, in late-game situations, you know, that those are the types of people the Lakers should be paying. And I, I think keeping Reeves along with adding guys like Tareen Prince, yeah, adding some extra depth. I, I think it puts them in a good spot to make it back there. Obviously, they'll have to deal with the Nuggets again, but I think other than the Nuggets, are, I would say the Lakers are probably in the second bag. I do put them over the Suns just in terms of, for now, for now. I, I, I don't I, agree I with think, that. I think the Suns I will, are way better I, than the Lakers. On paper, yes. I, I like the balance of the Lakers a bit more. And I also think that outside, you know, obviously KD's won some titles. Um, if DeAndre I, Ayton plays half of as he's supposed to be, they're miles ahead of the Lakers. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like, my opinion. That's can a huge evolve. if, though. Exactly. Like, in my opinion, can likely will evolve as you know the offseason progresses and as we get into the regular season in the fall but right now you know the lakers have and you lakers fans of course have a lot to look forward to for sure um and retaining a lot of that roster uh is super crucial even lebron at 39 you know he really struggled to shoot the three ball especially uh this past year in the playoffs but yet the lakers still made the conference finals so Mm -hmm. maybe lebron yeah, he's obviously way past his prime at this point. <laughs> but even then, he still finds a way to contribute. I mean, he's a very vocal leader as well. So, And then obviously AD can be a bit cold at times, but also is super crucial on both sides of the ball. You know, he's one of the very best defenders in the league when he's 100% healthy. You also have to consider the fact that Vogel is now coaching the Suns, which is the Lakers' championship head coach. So that's also another reason I put the Suns above the Lakers going into next season. That is, that's a good point too. I mean, uh, how yeah. how do you how do you feel on Darvin Ham in general as a Lakers fan? I think he's a good coach. He's like nothing astronomical. He's nothing special. He's just a very disciplined coach. Was at the end of the day, that's what most teams need. But the Lakers aren't really in what most teams need territory at this point. They have an aging megastar in LeBron, and he's trying to get a last ring. 
I think someone a little bit more along the lines of like Steve Kerr, Povich, or if you want to go back in time, uh, Phil Jackson. I think they need that kind of head coach to get them through that hump. Because at the end of the day, like you're not really going to coach AD and LeBron James. You just have to like feed them the narrative that they need to hear to go out and perform the, the way that they need to dig deep and actually find that last ounce of energy when LeBron's like wiped out in the fourth quarter with two minutes to go. He has to like remember when he's in the timeout, coach is telling him to go out and execute. And I think coaches who have that much more experience when it comes to championships will probably have been a little bit better. But obviously we're not in that day and age. Those two coaches already have jobs. So I probably think instead of the Rockets taking Ime, taking Ime would have probably put them above the Suns in terms of a coaching mindset. Makes sense. I, uh, regardless, I yeah I think the Lakers are a tight a title contender, West contender in the West, a hundred percent. Yeah, so those are our winners of today's episode. Uh, now moving on to the losers along with the Washington Wizards, of course. I'm going to throw my Raptors right in there to start off. I don't know why we paid Dennis Schroeder. I don't know why we re-signed Jacob Pirtle for that long. Um, we're kind of in limbo with Siakam. We don't really know if he wants to stay. Uh, he's kind of hinting that he doesn't want an extension, but he also doesn't want to trade. So, like, what is the other option? Those are the two things you can do when you're an NBA star. You've made an all-star team. You've made an all-NBA team. Now you're saying you don't want a fat extension or you don't want to be traded. So he's being really cryptic when it comes to the front office, which obviously isn't good. Uh, my Raptors, as I know them, is pretty much no longer existent. The last piece of the puzzle remaining is OG Ananobi at this point. Away Fred Van Vliet to the Houston Rockets. I can't blame him for leaving because he got the fattest bag he's ever going to see in his entire life. $133 million. That's... that's insane for Fred Van Vliet. He was my favorite player on the Raptors after Lowry left, but he's, I'm sorry, he's not worth that much. Like, he's yeah. not worth $43 million this season. He's a really good player. He was undrafted. He bet on himself. He's a champion, but you're going to give him $30 million. Like he's making more than Kyrie Irving. I'm sorry. Like this is you're it's coming from a genuine authentic Raptors fan. Like the Raptors are the reason I got into basketball way back in 2015. And I cannot bring myself to say that Fred is worth that much. But at the same time, I'm super happy for him that he got that money because they're kind of bringing him in as that like vet role to kind of like leave off the Rockets and kind of lead the younger generation that they're working on right now, kind of like to fast track the rebuild on top of the fact that they had a lot of cap space. So what better that money go than towards someone who is very hardworking, who's very disciplined and is an excellent role model for the exact reason that they want to bring it in. So I can't really bash the contract. I'm just saying he's not worth that much, but I'm super happy he got it. But at the end of the day, the person I can bash for getting paid that much is none other than Shanghai Sharks, Dylan Brooks, who was <laughs> supposed to end up on the Chinese Basketball League, but is now getting paid. Please tell me why Dylan Brooks is getting paid $20 million a season 
after he had a graphic up of him in the first round where he got knocked out next to LeBron James, who he said, I quote, I like to poke bears. I don't look at someone until they give me 40. And then a 40-year-old Braun gave him a 2020 game. Like, why would you pay someone like that $20 million? You're not that desperate. There's a lot of other good defenders in the league. OG Ananobi doesn't make that much. And he's literally leading the, the league in steals. He's top steals. two in steals for, like, the last five seasons. And then you're giving someone who's an instigator, who's, like, obviously you need someone like that on your team, like, the Patrick Beverleys of the world, you know, the Dylan Brookses, but you don't pay him that much. Patrick Beverly's chilling on a vet minimum. I'm making $20 million a season. And I Brooks just, is, that was Brooks, the, the worst contract I've ever seen in my, in my life. Like, and I Brooks they're the huge a, losers, Rockets. Massive losers. 100%, I mean, yeah, you have to consider the fact that Family and, and Brooks are getting paid a combined $213 million between their two deals. I mean, look, Brooks is definitely a good defender, but outside of that, like, especially like last season, he was pretty, he was pretty bad. I mean, he was awful offensively in the playoffs, you know, along with the fact that he kept poking the bear, not in a productive way. You know, we like to talk about, oh, you know, Grant Williams poked the bear with Jimmy Butler. Yeah, that was kind of funny. You know, it backfired a little bit, but Brooks is just like, really? You? Yeah, are poking LeBron James like I'm sorry almost nobody pretty much nobody in the league should be poking LeBron James like like the, the, it, it's ridiculous um and one other thing that I find interesting for the Raptors is and and why I agree that I think they're losers in this offseason so far is I feel like the Raptors are sort of accepting the fact that they're about to head into rebuild mode, but they're not fully willing to embrace it. Yeah, um, almost accurate. sort of like last year. You know, of course, they did make the play in when it wasn't really expected that they would go that far. But at the same time, like I, I feel like the Raptors keep trying to have one shoe in each door, mm-hmm. and and they need to pick a side. Either you're rebuilding or you try to make a playoff run with what you have. And uh, I frankly lead towards the former. I think it's time for the Raptors to go into rebuild mode. Yeah, I agree. So it's better, better soon, better later than never, right? Like they've been putting it off for a while. Just go ahead, deep, get it done, so you can actually start contending instead of just being a mid-tier team like the Washington Wizards, for example. And along but, with and, and yeah, along with Siakam, yeah, I I wasn't sure if OG Anobi would stay on the team or if someone might trade for him as well. You know, because as you mentioned, he's been the steals leader for the last two seasons. You know, he's a terrific hustle player as well. You know, he infamously had that shot in the Eastern Conference semifinals that basically saved the Raptors season and likely in, in all likelihood prevented them from getting swept by the Boston Celtics. Um, exactly. But like, he, he, I just don't get how like, you can pay Dylan Brooks that much when, okay, the John Murray, for example, he just got extended. He's getting paid $30 million a season, and he's a better defender, and he's an all-star offensively, and that's only $10 million more a season. Like, Dylan Brooks is a no-show offensively, and he's not even as good defensively as John Murray. I'll go ahead and say it. Like, um, give me I Derek agree. White. Give me Derek White over um, Dylan Brooks. Give me the John Murray over Dylan Brooks. Give me Jimmy Butler, a 35-year-old Jimmy Butler over a 23-year-old Dylan Brooks. Like, 
it's just too much money to commit to a person that's an instigator, like we said, but that's not how much you pay those people to have that role on an NBA team, especially one which the Rockets GM came out and said is looking to compete. It just doesn't really add up. But none none more time to waste on something like that. I kind of want to touch on the teams right now who kind of stayed the same. They didn't really lose or win. They mostly just re-signed a bunch of their folks and just kind of decided to keep it how it's going. So the main teams that did this include the Nets and the Bulls. They're the two teams who essentially just renewed everybody. I don't know why Chicago paid Vucevic. He's no-show defensively, and he's not that good offensively, especially in their system. They needed someone a lot more like Nick Claxton, for example, uh, as opposed to a Nikola Vucevic. And then you have uh, the teams like the Nets. They, I pretty much say they're like a winner slash stable. Like they didn't do that well, but they also like didn't really stay the same because they only acquired uh Cam Johnson and Mikel Bridges last season. So you can't really blame them for renewing them because they. I think building around those two wings is actually a very good idea, especially with the young personnel they have. They found their uh true head coach in the person replacing Steve Nash after he got fired. And I think that head coach, for example, is a lot better, Jacques Vaughn, right? He's a yep. lot better than, uh, for example, uh, Joe Mazzulla uh, for the Celtics. He actually communicates with his players. He has a good relationship with them. He actually articulates questions being asked by his players, the media, interviewers, everything and anything, whereas Mazzulla is a lot more closed offish. He doesn't really communicate as openly. So that's why I'd place those two teams and the Bulls and the Nets and kind of that stable end of the stick. And then you can look at like medium high winners almost in the Cavs and the Nuggets. The Cavs, I have to put in there. I wanted to keep them in the stable category. But at the end of the day, they acquired Donovan Mitchell last season, who was huge to them. They made the playoffs, but they got spanked in the first round because of glaring issues in their play style. And they went ahead and addressed all of those issues. Their main thing was Isaac Okoro being their small forward and not having a good enough shooting stroke. However, he was too good defensively for them to sub off the ground. So I think someone like Max Struess highlights that position perfectly because he's used to playing the three in Miami and he's also used to being that hustle-type player on defense, which is that Miami culture mindset that the Cavs were looking for in someone to fill in for Isaac Okoro's position at small forward, especially given that they have a extremely short backcourt, both two six-one guards, very fast, very shifty, very reliant on very good jump shooting. But at the end of the day, every superstar has an off game, and having someone like Max Struess to fill in for that role for the Cavs I think puts them in that semi-winning state. And then the last team I want to talk about very briefly is the championship roster, Denver Nuggets. Obviously, they are very tied down in terms of cap space to sign better agents. However, I would have imagined that the championship team of the league would have probably found a little bit better players to sign, given that they uh, recently traded Bruce Brown, which is dubbed their sixth starter to the Indiana Pacers, which themselves are also looking very good with Tyrese Halliburton running the show, as well as their uh, all-star pick 
that got drafted last season as well. He's also making a stride. You got teams like Sacramento with Keegan Murray also making a stride. He's been falling out in the summer league. So you have a lot of teams that have been making really good moves or developing their young core really well, where I find the Nuggets kind of just stayed in that limbo phase, which they have been in after winning the championship. Now, granted, they just did the job. However, I didn't really see that sense of urgency in terms of wanting to repeat and stay on top as much as other champions have in the past. I tend to agree. I It almost felt like the Nuggets did nothing, basically. Like I, It was expected that Bruce Ram was going to leave because he would want yeah. more money, which the Pacers offered to him. I wasn't sure. Did he get traded or did he sign was he because he was an unrestricted yeah, he was a free agent. agent yeah he was a free agent he just took the bag he didn't get traded because like that that was the thing and i know at one point you know there were certain celtics fans that are like oh bruce brown should come home to boston but i, I knew that wasn't going to happen because he just wanted too much money you know more than boston was going to be able to offer him um yeah i i, I would still put the nuggets as the team to beat in the west for next season but you know them not not by much exactly i mean the suns got a lot better the lakers are looking better too you know they're going to be snipping right at their heels all season i think the buffer Uh, between them and the next best team decreased a lot yeah i will be interested to see you know just you know we'll probably have to talk about this in another episode is you know what about a team like the Pacers? Because obviously last year they weren't very good outside of Halliburton, but now they have Bruce Brown. You know, some other guys, they're getting paid. The player from Montreal on the Pacers has been really good for them too. I forget his name though. I'm forgetting his name too. Because like when I think of Montreal, I'm like, oh, Lou Dort, but he's on the Thunder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, uh, two sleeper teams that we've yet to about are the Bucks and Warriors. I think they're both dark horses in next year's NBA because so much has shifted. They've only kind of stuck to their core, and they both have underlying issues. So the uh, the Bucks tried to address their shooting concerns with signing Malik Beasley, like we touched on earlier, briefly. But the Warriors have a lot bigger concerns. So like. What they did essentially was replace and Jordan Poole along with giving a first rounder so Washington can take on his contract with Chris Paul. Now, that's not really a bad trade in a vacuum. However, when you look at Paul having to make a huge adjustment of coming off the first time, he's going to not lightly in person to himself. However, he's going to protrude that narrative that he's that and more personally, like a Carmelo, and I think the idea in between himself, family, but to the media, he's portraying that to do whatever he needs for the success of the entire organization. You're cutting out badly, Quad. Oh, um, can now you're uh, good. I would okay. repeat like the last thirty seconds. Okay. Yeah, I, I was just talking about how like Jordan Poole, Poole was essentially flipped for Chris Paul 
which is essentially not the worst move you can do, especially the, the fact that you had to attach a first rounder so Washington can take on Poole's contract. However, in a vacuum, they're still not really addressing all the concerns they have when it comes to size. However, I've seen a lot of articles about how they were able to find gold mines in the draft late and also sign on people who declared undrafted. So they were able to basically address a lot of their length and shooting concerns. So I'm interested to see how that's going to pile up. But in terms of Chris Paul starting, I think he's kind of putting that narrative out to the media that he's going to do whatever the team needs to become successful for the greater good of the organization. However, I think he's a little bit put back by the fact that he's going to have to come off the bench for the first time in his life. However, what player to do that for than Steph Curry? But at the same time, I think it's just going to take a little bit of a mental blocker on him. So hopefully that doesn't come across in the way he plays for the Warriors, especially in the tail end or the beginning of the season. And uh, going back to the Bucks, they're addressing their concerns by pretty much re-signing Brooke Lopez. You saw Chris Middleton uh, declining his massive $40 million player dollar option for that one year to get on a three-year, $100 million contract that was a little bit more team-friendly. So he signed up with them long-term to essentially probably finish the tail end of his prime as a buck because that's where he identifies with the most, just like Brooke Lopez does. But then looking back at the entire landscape of the league, I think if the Warriors were able to acquire someone like Brooke Lopez, for example, that would have addressed every and any concern they had, especially defensively. They've always been known as the smaller team. So having someone like Brooke Lopez run the five for you and can also shoot is going to not only make their jobs easier, but also Draymond Green can play that floater defensive role where essentially what Anthony Davis was doing in the playoffs of last year, where he can also become much more effective because he is also getting a little bit older and older um, with the seasons going on. So I think those two teams are kind of like the dark horses of next season. You got Milwaukee in the East. A lot of people would disagree and say Milwaukee is a lot better, but I think with teams emerging in the Eastern Conference, I think that puts them more in like the fourth place role. You got teams like Boston, which is definitely going to probably be the first seed. You got teams like the Cavs, which are very, very coming back with that inch of revenge, right? You got teams like Philly. Uh, I think Milwaukee is probably going to fall out of that first to second place spot and become more of a dark horse, just like the Warriors will in the West. I agree. I think for the Warriors, too, it'll be interesting, you know, because Chris Paul also has a bit of a legacy, you know, that he's trying to shake. You know, it's Chris Paul can't get it done. You know, he can't win a ring, you know, even with a stacked team like the 2021 Suns. You know, we can agree or disagree about how stacked they truly were. But, you know, that was kind of the golden opportunity for him in some ways. Um, as for the Bucks. I tend to agree that they're that they're looking more as like a fourth seed at this point. Um, I also feel like cleansing away the stench of last last year's playoffs is gonna be hard too. Um, yeah, it's also hard to come back and win a championship again, yeah. especially with like the same core. Yeah, you know, Milton has dealt with injuries. Yeah, I I think the deal 
that he took the three-year $100 million deal is pretty good overall. Um, very team-friendly, as you said. Um, yeah, I, 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 I agree with your assessment. I think both are dark horses. I have a little bit more faith in the Warriors. Um, yeah, for sure. Although size is definitely still a huge concern. Yeah, I think even sleeper teams like the Heat in the East, right, like they're probably going to climb back up to that one to three range, especially if they acquire uh, someone like Damian Lillard, right? So you have the two last teams kind of in limbo right now, which is Philly and Portland. You got obviously the Heat being associated to Portland and the Clippers being associated to Philly. Harden wants to end up a Clipper and Dame wants to end up a Miami Heat player. So we can't really speculate much because those two trades are still in limbo. Um, you know, Portland's GM came out and said that he's not in a rush to uh, trade Dame. Of course, he's trying to like leverage every single piece of evidence he has at this point to try to use to the best of their franchise, having just drafted Scoot Henderson when the narrative was that they were going to trade the third pick for a package all-star to pair up with Damian Lillard. However, when they chose to pay Grant $150 million over the course of four years, Damian Lillard put the pen down and he was like, I want out finally. Very happy he was actually able to come to terms with the fact that he wants to be traded because he deserves to win. He's a member of the 75 best players of all time club, as he should be. And he deserves a better championship opportunity, just like Jimmy Butler does. And what better way to do that than pair them both up? I agree. And and it's why you mentioned the Jeremy Grant deal, because as soon as I saw that, I knew that they were going for first of all, that's ridiculous that way they paid pay way too much. Way too much. He's not even an all-star. Mm-mm. Exactly. Like he's making more than some all-stars make, which is ridiculous. Like he's getting paid all star money to be role player. Your third coach. best, yeah, your third best third role option. Player. No things. Like it was kind of obvious at that point that you know Dame was very likely on the way out. And, yeah, I don't you know, think like kinda, two seasons in Detroit. Coming. You know, like that's all he had. He had two seasons in Detroit, averaging twenty one plus, and then Portland traded for him, and now he's getting paid that much. I don't think that work equates to that contract. No, and every every team he's been on, because before Detroit, I think he was on Denver, I believe. Yeah. And he, he, he was never A little bad. too early, right? A little too early. <laughs> exactly. Imagine being that player that comes, like, the year after or the year before. Oh, or, like, no. leaves the year before. Like, cousins for the Warriors when they lost to the Raptors. Oof. Exactly. But it's sort of like, uh, yeah, for, for Dame, it was just, the inevitable finally, you know, came home to roost. Yeah. And, you know, he had been, it had been speculated that he wanted to leave for at least the last two off seasons. And I think finally Dame realized like, okay, like this team is a lot closer to tanking than they are to winning a title. Okay. Um, And I, I can't fault Dame for being loyal. Like ultimately, you know, he considers Portland home, you know, the, the fans love him. I don't blame him for having a hard time of letting go. You know, it's really hard to let go of what's familiar and, you know, say goodbye to people you love and care about. But at the end of the day, if Dame wants to retire with a ring, you know, he does need to like go to Miami, 
you know, go to a team that's stacked and is in a position to contend for a title. And, you know, although the heat definitely have a lot of competition in the East, I mean, like they, they, they were just in the finals. So of course it's stupid to say anything except they're likely to be at least contending to be back there. Yeah. They're very well equipped to, to make it back. Yeah. And especially because Dame's getting, like, a little older now. Like, he's actually quantified as old for the first time in his life, in the NBA at least. He's entering, like, 33 years old. There was clips in the All-Star game when he was selected that came out. It's like, oh, you guys think I'm old? Like, he's used to being, like, 30, 31, like, still in the middle of his prime. But now he's approaching the tail end of it. And what better way to do that than coming off the best season since you got drafted? So that shows everyone that you still have a lot more left in the tank and you truly deserve to contend. Uh, The last few minutes that we have, I kind of just want to get your take on the Zion pregnant baby mama situation (laughs) and the John Moran 25 game suspension. Just like a quick little recap. What are your thoughts on that? I'll admit I am. I, I roughly know what's happened with the Zion baby mama stuff. It almost seems like the funniest thing is that he is that there's coming there's reports and memes coming out that the amount of tweets that the girl he was involved with before he announced the baby he was having the amount of tweets that she like posted on that situation is more than the games played he has in the NBA. That's crazy. Isn't that ridiculous? Well, well, when you're not able to stay on the court, stuff's gonna happen off the court. Yeah. It it's a good reminder that when you're famous, you, you should be a little careful about who you low key, be low key. Like you're getting exposed on Twitter, like 150 tweets about the same situation. And to be fair, I do think this girl's like trying to blackmail him, and she's probably nuts, but also she's a porn yeah, star. Zion. What do you expect? Yeah, Zion, stop banging the porn stars, stop, <laughs> stop eating Wendy's, bro. Yeah, get in shape and stop uh, impregnating women and maybe focus on being a basketball star like you were hyped up to be. He only exactly. took the money minus the performance, hey? Exactly. And uh, as for John Moran, I mean, he just needs to quit being stupid. He needs to find better friends. He needs to he needs to focus on basketball and his daughter. Like that 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 that's it. And like talk about I, ruining I, your future. Exactly. And we may run out of time before I finish my thoughts, but Go ultimately, on. ultimately, Jaw, like, I, I believe him when he says he wants to get better. But at the end of the day, you know, words are hollow if it isn't followed up by action. And so far, it really hasn't been. And the other thing, too, is if you are going to play with guns, at the very least, don't have a camera don't publish it for you. the world to see like it almost seems like every time jaw has a gun in his hand someone's like pointing the camera towards him yeah and it's always like instagram live too yeah you can see in the second video he was like trying to hide it and then his camp came out with the narrative that it was a toy gun and he posted a story of him lighting a candle with a toy gun and and nobody fell for that. And then That's they just BS. felt more That's sorry such for him BS. because he was trying to cover it up rather than admit it. They were trying to cover it up. And then the 25 game suspension, I think, is not enough. I think it should have been at least like 35, 40. 
But then the Grizzlies did good enough by getting Marcus Smart as insurance. So I guess it worked out for them. Yes. Yeah, so I, I tend to agree with you. I, I don't think the suspend the 25 game suspensions enough for jaw. And I hate to say it because like even a year ago, 18 months ago, I, I really liked jaw. He was one of my favorite young players in the league. And he was actually probably one of the more likable guys. It seemed like, like a young you know, Westbrook. Exactly. He was, you know, great offensively, tough defensively. And you know, seemed like he really wanted to improve as a player. And, you know, he would always post on Twitter of like him hanging out with his daughter and she would like sing along to songs that like had Jaws name in it. And I'm like, oh, that's great. But then, you know, this past season, you know, maybe it's just the fact that he was on like quite possibly the least likable Grizzlies team in quite some time and definitely the least likable team in the league. You know, even if you're like a Lakers fan who hates the Celtics, like, you can't, t- you can't tell me that the Grizzlies were were more likable than that. No, yeah. Dylan Brooks made it hard, and sure. especially Dylan Brooks. But at, for Jaw, like my issue and the reason why I think the suspension should be longer isn't because of just just because of what he did, but because he didn't seem to learn anything from the last time. You know, and he, again, as I said before, he can say he's contrite that, you know, he won't do it again. And he'll, you know, I don't love when people, you know, as important as mental health is, I don't think using that as an excuse for your actions is productive either. And it takes away from real mental health issues that players might go through. So, yeah, I I, I think the suspension should have been at least like, uh, I don't know if they hand out like half year suspensions. It's like yeah. for 41 or you know, been, maybe 40 yeah. games. That's what I, yeah, like 35, 40. That's what I thought it should have been on par with. Adam Silver is like not going to do that though. If it was David Stern, he probably would have been suspended for the whole season easily. Yeah. And I'll, I think that might have been a little too harsh. Although, again, at the end of the day, you know, when you make the same. I'm not even going to call it a mistake. Like when you make the same bad choices multiple times in a row, like, yeah, that's a pattern of behavior and that definitely needs to be addressed appropriately by the league. Um, Also like, you know, mishandling guns isn't a new issue in the NBA. I mean, everyone remembers what happened with uh, Gilbert arenas mm-hmm. back in like the mid two thousands. I think it was remember like the mouth of the palace too. Oh my gosh! With Ron uh, Artests, Ron... you mean Meta World? Meta World Peace. <laughs> Actually, he, I think he changed his name yet again. Back. Yeah. Um, yeah, that what was. What is it now? It's just like uh, Ennis Cantor. He's Ennis Freedom now. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, I remember when he was on the Celtics twice. Hmm. Ah. Uh... But yeah, all, all this to say, John Morant needs to get his crap together and remember what actually matters, which again is basketball, so his career, and his daughter, so family. Like you have those two things and you really can't ask for more. But if he does what he, if he keeps doing what he's been doing, he's got to lose both. And I, I would hate to see that for him. <laughs>